Welcome to this episode of Industries in Transition, a holistic look at the challenges, triumphs and lessons learned as businesses drive change to build a sustainable future. Welcome to this special series of podcasts. I'm your host, Manisha Tank, and in this episode, we speak to a very special guest. A British newspaper once described him as a banker not afraid to bare his chest, whilst also applauding his rather impressive singing voice and support for the arts. As for business, earlier this year, he said no one under his leadership would be laid off as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. He also oversaw a decade of partnership with famed football club Liverpool FC. If that's not enough, he's a man on a mission to create the world's most sustainable bank. We are, of course, talking about Mr. Bill Winters, the group CEO of Standard Chartered Bank. And he's on the line now. Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm very well, Manisha. Thanks very much for having me. Well, I know that you have been doing a little bit of flying and that you've come in from Hong Kong. So I hope that you're feeling well rested and ready to chat. We're speaking online, which has now become completely normal and part of our everyday working life. But I'm wondering, as a global CEO, you must have been racking up the air miles before the pandemic hit. What's it been like managing such a large firm in the midst of a pandemic? I think the experience that I and probably everybody in business has been the same, which is that we've been amazed at what we've been able to get done, despite being in one way or another restricted or locked down. It came upon us quickly. I think my last international visit before the trip I'm on now, which has been going for three months, was to Singapore. And I thought, well, I'll be back in a, in a couple of months. Of course, that, that has not been the case. It's now nine months later. But uh, we all got by through a bit of resourcefulness, figuring out how everybody could work from home initially or otherwise remotely, how our systems could adapt to a situation where people weren't interacting face-to-face, but were interacting the way we are now or, or on video conferences. All the collaboration technology moved forward at great speed. Um, in fact, we never missed a beat. From what I can see, most businesses didn't miss a beat, which is pretty encouraging. Definitely very encouraging. And also, for some, it's quite surprising how well a number of businesses have transitioned through this really difficult time. I was just curious, though, what's your average day like? Do you spend most of the day on calls? I do spend most of the day on calls. I've been in Asia now for, I guess, three months in Korea, Hong Kong, and now Singapore. The, the upside is that there is some time during the day when I can actually meet with my colleagues. Obviously, it's all socially distanced and, and inappropriately segregated, etc. But there is some, uh, certainly in, in Korea, Hong Kong, now in Singapore, there's some face-to-face interaction, which is wonderful. The day starts with video conferences and ends with video conferences, and maybe there's a few audio conferences along the way. But for these few months in Asia, uh, there's been an opportunity to actually meet with, with colleagues, to meet with government officials with clients in some face-to-face settings, which I think adds some texture back to all of our lives. Yeah, definitely some texture there. And also, of course, I mean, if global trade deals can be signed virtually, why can't you run an international bank? All right. Well, we're counting down to the end of 2020, and I'm, I'm sure there are a few events that you might be glad are now in the rearview mirror. If you had to describe 2020 in just one word, what would it be and why? Just one word would have to be resilient. We didn't plan for this specific scenario. I think we all were aware that, that pandemics were on the, on the list of things that, that could hit the world pretty hard. Yeah, and we had a playbook, but nobody had, had rehearsed the playbook the, the way it played out. So the fact that it hit and people have been able to move on, I, resilient, that's my word. Nice one. And, and it's interesting because you just said we had a playbook. Does it mean that, you know, banks like Standard Chartered, they have a game plan for if things turn in a surprising direction? 
We do. I mean, I think we have lots of things in the playbook. Some of them get really, really active attention. So let's just take a cyber attack. We've got volumes of what we would do in, in the case of a cyber attack or what we would do in, in the event of a natural disaster in, in one of our markets uh, or an act of war. And then those, those things, given that, that all of them have happened in one way or another over the past few years, are very much front of mind. Uh, the pandemic, yeah, there's a playbook, but, but it wasn't front of mind. And now it is. Dare I say, we'll all be better prepared for the next pandemic. I, I just hope that we don't face that in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I can agree with that one. All right. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but recently there was a news report that showed Collins Dictionary has put lockdown as its word of the year. What was it like helping your teams around the globe respond to all of these drastic measures that had to be taken? I mean, you've just said how you had this playbook, but I'm sure there's a lot that we didn't know at the beginning of the year that we do now. You know, what, what I'm most encouraged by was the amount of help that I personally was able to offer was very little. Uh, the help came everybody with everybody. Take some examples. While the pandemic hit India a little bit later, it hit with ferocity. We have 25,000 employees, including our all of our service centers in India, oftentimes facing very long commutes and in many cases not set up to work from home the way, for example, I am. And during that time, since India was a little bit late in the pandemic, there weren't enough laptops in the world to go around. I mean, you just couldn't find them. You couldn't find webcams. You couldn't find speaker phones. And then if you get into the more mundane, you couldn't find ergonomic chairs. And the, the, the way that my colleagues use their resourcefulness, innovation, and their generosity, tremendous generosity of spirit, to help colleagues who couldn't get to the office or, or, or where it was imprudent to get to the office, to get set up at home in a way that worked, you know, reconfiguring desktop computers, taking laptops that could be made secure and safe, et cetera, getting them to the right place was just outstanding to see. Similar heroics in Kuala Lumpur and Tianjin, and in addition to London, Dubai, uh, New York, Hong Kong, Singapore. Everybody was helping everybody. And, I, and, and not just within Standard Chartered. I mean, maybe the thing that I was most proud about was when this thing really kicked in and became ugly, we had, a, I would say, an almost an uprising in the organization to say, how can we help? We did things like donate a day of your salary or a week or a month or a year. Between our employee donations uh, and the amount that the, the bank matched, we raised $50 million dollars. We dispersed $25 million of that immediately for frontline disaster relief across our markets. And the second $25 million we're releasing to focus on the recovery efforts. In each case, working with partners that we've come to know and trust over a period of time. To me, that was just enormously affirming that, that everybody who had their own massive problems, you know, many people were sick. You know, we've had people, colleagues that might have died. Many others were sick or family members that were sick or just, just high levels of anxiety and worry. Against that backdrop, people were going into their own pockets in a really meaningful way to help out strangers in our markets that were in either, even greater need than they were. So as a leader then, what sort of resilience within you did it take or what qualities within you did it take to allow those ideas to flow? You talk about this uprising of, you know, people wanted to help, people wanted to do something. Also, I guess you wanted to be there to support people whose families had been affected on, in such a big way. What sort of resources did that call upon within you? Yeah, I think we all had to find reservoirs of enthusiasm and passion that were not needed in a different environment. And and we all had to find ways to communicate. The really important lessons that we've all learned is that you can actually have personal communications in a non-face-to-face -face environment, but they probably have to be different. You've got to carve out some time for a one-on-one -on -one video conference or a phone call. Sometimes it's nice to surprise people uh, with a phone call just to say thank you. I found that sending out a thank you note, very simple thank you note, has tremendous resonance these days, maybe more so than at a different time, just to say, like, I heard that you did something uh, extraordinary, and I just want to thank you. So finding ways to personalize your communication, uh, finding ways to, to get 
collaboration, working in a virtual environment. I think we all had to learn. And uh, and I think we have learned a lot and technology has helped, uh, but also the willingness of people to, to suggest ways that, that that work for them. All in all, I would say it's been very encouraging and, and, and a great learning experience. Well, that's great to hear. We said earlier that you would like to see Standard Chartered become a global leader in sustainability. I was curious to know what or who has been your biggest inspiration in that goal and how this COVID pandemic has accelerated the transition. Probably the, the, the biggest motivator for me is the fact that I have children. Whatever years I've got left in life, hopefully it's many, but you know, the worst of the climate change effect probably won't happen in my lifetime. It almost certainly will happen in my children's lifetime. Of course, it's not just my children. It's the, it's the, the, the other five billion children around the world who deserve the same opportunities that I had. Absolutely. You know, you, you and me both, Bill, I too have kids and lots of people listening will, I'm sure, have the same thoughts and sentiments. You mentioned Al Gore there. And just on that note, I wanted to pick up on US President-elect Joe Biden and him announcing John Kerry as a potential environment czar, so to speak. How important are these sorts of figures now for this global movement to a more sustainable economy and a more sustainable future, do you think? I am just so, so happy to see the commitment of the incoming Biden administration to, to sustainability broadly and climate change in, in particular. And I think John Kerry will be absolutely exceptional at raising awareness in the U.S., but also the U.S. profile. Very, very clear signal that the U.S. will be reengaging with the rest of the world. This is a global problem, and uh, it can only be solved with global actions. A lot of what we've been doing at Center Chartered has been focused on ways to connect the globe to solve this climate problem, whether that's bringing Western capital into African markets to fund the enormous financing gap uh, around sustainable financing requirements, or whether it's uh, some of the work that I've done leading a task force to build a really big, strong and robust market for carbon offsets. These are all necessary steps and they're all global. Without global coordination, it won't work. And I think what Biden has set the tone throughout his whole campaign. He's taking concrete action with the appointment of John Kerry. Uh, John Kerry is, is an exceptional leader, ex- exceptionally well qualified to lead this, extraordinarily energetic. So I just, I just couldn't be happier with, with the, the direction of travel right now. Oh, great to hear it's so encouraging. Let's talk then and drill down a little bit further on Standard Charter's ambitions, particularly when it comes to sustainable finance. You just mentioned it briefly there. But what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be? You've already talked about the financing gap, but how do you how do you cross the bridge? How do you get to where you want to be when it comes to sustainable finance? The gap is huge. The financing requirement uh, is over $50 trillion. The available financing is around half of that. If you get into markets in sub-Saharan Africa, the available financing is less than 10% of what's needed uh, for the world to get to net zero by 2050. If we don't get to net zero, we're going to have temperature increases well in excess of one and a half degrees centigrade, which will be cataclysmic. It's not hypothetical. It's not a long time away. You know, This is our lifetime. We've said we'll be at net zero by 2030. We know if all the companies that have made commitments reach their commitments, it's still going to be far from enough because it's not just the companies that are emitting. It's everybody else, including governments and including many companies and countries that have not made those commitments. And we have to allow for the fact that not every company that's made a commitment will actually hit their commitment. That's the backdrop. How do, how do we get this right? Well, we've, we've got to have a, a much more robust framework for measuring actual outcomes versus the commitments that people are making. Senator Tartard is committed and intending to do the right thing. We will reduce our emissions to net zero by 2030. 
And we will help all of our clients to reach their net zero ambitions by the time that they set out, 2030, 2040, 2050. For that to happen, all of us that have made these commitments that can't actually reduce our emissions to zero. I mean, Standard Chartered, we are still going to have air conditioning in this building that I'm sitting in right now in 2030. We're still going to have some element of travel that's using airplanes and cars and boats that are using fossil fuels. So we wanted to make the difference up by buying carbon offset credits. We're effectively transferring money to people that are going to plant trees, avoid deforestation, develop carbon capture technology from the air. That that need is trillions and trillions of dollars that need to move from the pockets of people like us to the people that are in a position to to make a difference. That facility uh, doesn't exist in a scalable way today. One way to attack this is through the, uh, the a carbon offset market where we have a good, liquid, robust, big, strong, visible, credible carbon market. And part of it is people like Senator Bank making the investments in uh, and delivering finance to support those efforts as well. So we've got you know, pension funds, savers, insurance companies around the world who are very keen to invest in sustainable projects. And there's thousands of different ways that we can arrange that. We set up a program to, to raise sustainable deposits started in Singapore, I guess a year and a half ago. Uh, we've raised well over $2 billion of deposits. Those deposits can only be used to finance sustainable projects. Sustainability, I think we're, we're trying to take a broad view. On that note, I wanted to ask, there must be clients out there who do want to do good, who have the resources to do it, but they need to start somewhere. Do you often get approached by clients who say, okay, I've got the resources, I want to do the right thing, now steer me in the right direction. Does that happen? Early in the pandemic, we set up a $1 billion financing fund. And we said, we're going to make a billion dollars of loans at cost that will be available for those of you that need to, to, to re-kit your factories or whatever to fight the pandemic, whether it's producing PPE or, or medical diagnostic equipment or, or frontline health services. Uh, we've now uh, committed all of that capital and you know, most of it's been dispersed. But having put the shingle out that we've, that we've set up this facility, we got hundreds of incoming calls from clients saying, how can you help us? And we've been able to work with clients very closely during that period to get them completely geared up. Uh, on the environmental side, we made a few proclamations early on. We said that we would finance no more coal-fired power plants. We made that, that declaration three years ago. We have clients and others coming to us all the time to say, what are the resources available to us to help us affect our own transition? And we, we made another policy declaration last year when we said that we will finance no companies that are dependent on coal-fired power for more than 10% of their income. And we said, look, over 10 years, we will work with you. We've got $40 billion of, of financing set aside to help you affect your own transition. The vast majority of, of, of our customers that we've dealt with have said, this is really, really helpful. This is what Standard Charter does. It's what we've done for 160 years, is to help people in difficult situations, oftentimes in, in difficult markets, to raise financing through both conventional and unconventional means. That sort of uh, expertise has never been more critical than right now, given the immediacy of the challenge that we face. Absolutely. Earlier, we basically touched on the carbon offsetting and the challenges there. You are the chair of the task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets. And for our listeners, that is made up of more than 40 leaders from six continents with backgrounds across the carbon market value chain. 
I was curious to get an idea for your ambitions for the task force, but also what you think your greatest challenges are. Listening to Standard Chartered's position on financing, what also strikes me is so long as that existing coal plant or that existing coal plant owner has another bank that they could turn to, your policy is only as successful as your weakest link in a way. You all have to be on board. Now, as chair of a task force like this, how challenging is it to get everyone on board? The task force itself was conceived by Mark Carney, who is the Prime Minister Boris Johnson's climate advisor and really leading the charge on COP26, which the UK is hosting. Mark asked me to chair this. We pulled together an outstanding group of leaders. We've got 50 companies from, as you said, from across the value chain. So people who are heavy emitters who have made commitments to get to net zero or or something like that one way or another. People who are uh, in a position to offset the uh, carbon emissions of others uh, for profit and also NGOs who are uh, reforesting, planting trees, developing uh, direct air capture technologies uh, and the like. And then the intermediaries along the way. So the brokers, the facilitators who who are helping get the money from the people who are prepared to invest in affecting climate improvements into the hands of the people that actually have the technology. Today, you can go buy carbon credits. But the total of transactions that was done last year was just a, a tiny fraction of what we'll need to do. The task force did an enormous amount of work. We released a consultation document two weeks ago that sets out the, the basic principles around this, this market also raises a lot of questions. And you know, some of these questions are, are controversial. Some people will say, why do you focus on this, this movement of carbon credits at all? Everybody should just be focused on reducing. At Standard Charter Bank, we do that by uh, reducing air travel. Uh, we do that by you know, eliminating the use of single-use plastic, paper, et cetera. If all the companies do all the reducing that we can do, we're still about 20% short to get to net zero. The difference between doing everything we can do to reduce and then getting that extra 20% is probably something like two or three degrees of increase in temperature by the end of the century, which is a difference between a planet that's inhabitable and a planet that's not. I just wanted to get your reflection, given our conversation about net zero. This was a word that was trending in the last couple of months. And a couple of the reasons why is China's position on sustainability and announcing this goal to get to net zero by 2060. And also Japan coming out and laying out its ambitions and its framework for net zero as well. What are the implications for sustainable finance when we get headlines like that? This is a big thing for sustainable finance. There's trillions of dollars needed. And uh, those dollars will come from investors and others who uh, see both the necessity, the imperative, but also the, the opportunity to invest in attractive projects. Uh, that's going to have to be leveraged by, uh, by capital markets and, and banks. These projects tend to be technical in nature. In, in some cases, the technology isn't yet fully proved. In other cases, it is. That lends itself to the, the full application of the, of the financial value chain. And we intend to be uh, at the center of that at Standard Chartered. So I want to wrap it up really with a question about the future. Where would you like to see Standard Chartered, particularly on matters of sustainability, five years from now? Broadly, our ambition five years from now is to continue uh, on our path towards uh, having a, a very strong and sustainable level of profit uh, and doing that in a highly sustainable and purpose-driven way. Uh, in terms of sustainability, I think over the next five years, we will either break the back of this problem or we won't. And that to me means having all of the infrastructure in place, take the commitments that I think will be in, in increasingly made by companies and countries around the world. You just mentioned China and Japan. Wouldn't it be great if we saw uh, similar sorts of commitments out of the United States? That's possible in the next five years. But beyond the commitments, we'll have to have the infrastructure in place to get the money flowing from where it is today to where it needs to be. 
We'll need to have the investments in technology that will give us the very clear opportunity to, to break the back of this problem. And we'll have to have the not just the infrastructure, but the actual utilization of that infrastructure. We'll have to make significant advances in the next five years if we're going to get to net zero by 2050. My hope is that Senator Tartar will, will be helping to drive that in every way that we can. Just absolutely finally, I, I want to ask you really for your own personal reflection, because obviously this is a time where there is quite a bit of pressure in the air to get the job done. Uh, we are facing challenging times, rapid transition to a new normal, a new word that is perhaps the most overused phrase of 2020, the new normal, but it is here. So how are you preparing yourself for that? Personally, what has always kept me going is some combination of, of curiosity and what well, is a desire to learn. And, you know, when, when we reflect on 2020, it has been a great opportunity to learn. Now, some of the lessons have been extremely painful, as we know, but it has been a, a, just a fantastic, rejuvenating experience to see the, the, the good that mankind can do, of course, to see some of the bad as well. And as I look to 2021, hopefully we will return to something that, that feels a little bit closer to normal, at least by the end of the year. And I think we will have to, to, to be sure that we absorb all these lessons that we've learned and make them part of our essence going forward. If we do that, recognizing both what we all find attractive about humanity, but also some of the obstacles that we face to making the advances that, that we all hope to make. If we do that properly, 2021 can be the year that we really get this planet back on track. Bill, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much. That's uh, Bill Winters, Group CEO at Standard Chartered Bank. Thank you so much. Yeah, Manisa, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure to have this discussion about something that is so important to all of us. Thank you for tuning in to Industries in Transition, brought to you by Standard Chartered. Supporting clients for over 150 years, Standard Chartered empowers businesses and inspires change through ambitious social and environmental initiatives. Standard Chartered, driving commerce and prosperity whilst contributing to sustainable growth across the world's most dynamic markets. <laughs>